in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone, Chime members or not, and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Moolah! You don't know how you're supposed to earn it or what to do with it or how to keep it. You're a freak with a dark, shameful secret. But you're not the only one. Get your hidden financial fears with a blast of sun. Now your healing has begun. It's bad with money with Gabby Dunn. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn, and I'm bad with money, which is also the name of this podcast. Most of the time when we talk about money, especially in the media, we talk about it as a practical concern. 
there's this idea that there's like a correct financial path to be on and that this is a path that's available to everyone and that getting on it has to do with things like savings and 401ks and IRAs and interest rates and making personal budgets with ugh, investing in the stock market, which I barely understand, and a bunch of other concepts that we kind of like nod along with and pretend that we know what we're talking about. But really, what the fuck does all of this shit mean? I mean, I literally have no idea. I've, like, seen the stock market. Like, I've seen people ring the bell there, and that's, like, looks really fun. But, like, what is it? I don't walk around with a working knowledge of all these, like, complicated financial systems, okay? And that probably makes you think that I'm stupid. Like, I'm vaguely where they exist. They're probably useful. But I've got shit to do. Moreover, maybe I reject the idea that there's a correct financial plan. Maybe we should all just spend all our money and live our lives... Because we're going to die and it's not going to get buried with us because we're not King Tut. I think money is an ongoing, kaleidoscoping, existential, emotional dilemma with no possible resolution. And planning for a rolling emotional crisis sounds to me like a good way to drive yourself completely insane. I think anyone who says they figured out the right way to have, spend, or save money has really only figured out a way that makes sense to them. And also, they got lucky, okay? They just lucked out. But the reality is that no matter who they are, they probably feel a little crazy about money at least some of the time. In the first episode of this show, I mentioned that money is responsible for the times I felt the most unstable, and certainly the times that I've cried the hardest, often in public. That's true. I sat on a sidewalk in New York City holding a bag of my stuff that I was going to pawn and cried on the phone to my grandmother because I had an unpaid internship at a very successful company that could have definitely afforded to pay me. Shout out to Viacom. So I wanted to try and figure out why it makes me in particular feel so out of control. For a long time, I figured the answer was pretty simple. I didn't have enough money. And then I had a session with a financial psychologist. Yes, that's a real thing, and it should be more of a thing, and I can't believe I'm just hearing about this. His name is Dr. Brad Klontz, and surprise, the actual reasons I feel crazy are way more complex than just the amount of dollars in my bank account. Dr. Klontz is the co-author of a book called Mind Over Money, Overcoming the Money Disorders That Threaten Our Financial Health. Here's how he describes this philosophy in a video on his website, yourmentalwealth.com. Mind Over Money helps people understand the root causes of their financial stress and their problems with money. It challenges the big lie about personal finance, the lie that makes us feel stuck and ashamed, the lie that says that our financial problems are the result of us being stupid, lazy, or somehow deficient. It's just not true. Stupid, lazy, deficient. That is how I feel all the time. So I sat down with Dr. Klontz to try to figure out just what the hell's wrong with me. So Gabby, how are you doing today? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, what brought you in? to talk to me today? Well, I think the most stressful thing in my life has always been money. Um, From the time when I was in high school and I realized that my parents didn't really have a lot of it, I seemed to be the only person in my family who was concerned about that. And it stuck with me till now where there's a combination of never really having a lot of money, so thinking that that's not a thing that people have and so it doesn't matter but also being continuously surprised whenever I need money for something and I don't have it. So um, your parents weren't really concerned about money 
you guys didn't have a lot of money. Yeah. And then I now have a career where I'm making some money or stand to make some money. And they're like, oh, well, that's great. You're our retirement. And so there was this sort of like reverse of the parent-child role. One thing you said already that really stood out for me is um, you've never really had much money, but you're also surprised when you don't have it. It's sort of an interesting you know, environment, too, where on the one hand, there's not much money. And on the other hand, your parents uh, would do whatever it took to give you whatever you needed, even if they couldn't afford it. They're so cagey about it. I honestly don't know. I think it's like credit card debt, I think. Well, and as a child, you wouldn't know. You yeah. would just know that, wow, it seems like things are pretty tight, but all of a sudden I'm getting what I need. You're sensing there's some irresponsibility going on or something's not adding up. Um, and, yeah, and then they would send us to like a summer camp that I thought was too expensive. And then it was a lot of me as a kid being like, like, hey, guys, maybe we shouldn't do this. <laughs> right. Hey, maybe we shouldn't be doing this great thing for me, um, which is right. that's a real double bind for you as, as a yeah. kid and very confusing. My, my guess is, too, that um, you have a bit of a rebellious side to you. Um, yeah. You know, based on that strong sense of learning very early in life that, hey, you know, adults, you can't really trust them entirely. Yeah. It creates a tremendous amount of anxiety because as a child, you want to believe that the adults are taking care of business and they're doing it right and you don't have to worry about it. And that's really the 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 feeling we need as children. Mm -hmm. um, and then to carry all that anxiety around, you know, I, I have to be watchful. And here I am. I have no resources. I have, you know, I, I'm not nearly as smart in terms of knowing as much. And I don't yet, have yet, access to the actual numbers. I don't have the passwords. Right. Yeah, you have no power. So, so that's sort of your background around it. What would you say right now? Like, where are you at on a scale of 1 to 10? How satisfied are you with your relationship with money? Like a 5.5? I don't know. I have more of it than I have ever ha had. And I stand and I have like deals coming through where stuff in my career is going well. So I have money that's like in the ether that will eventually land in my bank account. But also I have no idea what to do with that amount of money. Like I'll I'll go from having like, I mean, literally like negative bank balance to having like in the six figures within the year. And I am like, what do you even do with that? Do you bury it in your backyard? Like, where do you do you put it in your mattress? Like once you have that, what do you even do with it? Um. And I'm so like glad totally... that we're talking right now, Gabby. <laughs> Honestly, um, I'm glad we're not talking two years from now because you're you are going to face in the coming year one of the most stressful events that happens for people around money. We have a tendency to have friends and close relationships with people at a similar financial comfort zone level. Basically, what you're facing is a movement out of that financial comfort zone into a new one. Yeah. And it, what happens on a biological level is that it creates an incredible amount of anxiety because, uh, well, of course you should be happy. You're making more money. So there's, you know, you've got your scientist brain saying, no, Gabby, this is totally fine. You're making plenty, you know, you're going to make more money. It's perfect. There's no problems attached to that. This is exactly what you wanted. And then your your animal brain is almost panicking as that's happening because ultimately it's interpreting this as you're going to basically get kicked out of your tribe. And 
that comes with a whole host of, of dynamics and challenges. What happens just naturally is people end up drifting away from their friends. Um, well, they do one of two things. Either they um, financially enable everybody um, because they have so much guilt and so much discomfort that now they have money when others don't. So they um, give money when, when they're asked. They um, support people. They, they get rid of it. And it's an unconscious effort to actually decrease that anxiety and feel like you belong back into the family, right? Yeah, I don't know. My parents have been a little not asking for stuff themselves, but have been like asking for other people. Like when I've given money to a sibling, my parents are like, thank you so much for doing this. That was so great. Like you're really like supporting the family and like that's wonderful. And they're pleased. And my boyfriend is like, you can't start giving money to your siblings because they'll just think they can keep asking you for money. But I was like, well, they're crying or they, they asked or they're upset or like, and he was like, yeah, and you've been upset in the past and nobody gave you money. How did you get out of it? Well, and um, I think that's good insight. There's always part of us that believes that more money is going to solve all of our problems. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, it, it does for a little bit. And we've attached all this meaning and all this, you know, it's going to it's going to give me the life I want. And, and inevitably, wherever you go, there you are. So it's still the mm-hmm. same you. Before we met, I had you take a test. It's a mm-hmm. money script questionnaire. Um, and money scripts are those typically unconscious beliefs we have about money. They're taught to us from our parents. And, and you had some real poignant ones, you know, um, like you only live once, spend it while you got it. Um, you don't shouldn't have to worry about money. So those are messages that get hardwired in us as children. Yeah, well, my parents are very like... It's a very hippy-dippy, like, Yoko Ono, John Lennon, sort of like, you can't take it with you, man, kind of thing. Yes, and um, that is, you know, like all these money scripts, they're all, they're all entirely accurate in a certain context. It's absolutely true. You know, you can't take it with you. Um, if you construct your entire life around that belief and you don't modify it and, and make it more accurate, well, of course, you're not going to have any money, right? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, but what if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, Brad? Then who cares about any of this? I should have gone to Ibiza. You're right. <laughs> See, that's what I'm saying. So as long as you get hit by a bus tomorrow, then that belief is totally accurate. Um, but you're probably not going to get hit by a bus tomorrow. Um, and, and so really it's about making it a, a more functional belief, if you will. Like you need to be able to live for the moment. There's an and after that sentence. And it's really important to save for the future. What your parents were teaching you, it's so hardwired and it's, um, it, it, for most of us, it's very subconscious, but it drives all of our financial behaviors. And it's, it's what explains for me, um, like you already know that you should save for the future. You already know you should spend more than you make. You know, you and every other American knows that. But that's where most of us get into trouble. It would have never occurred, like, like I was like, ooh, after I get this money, I can move. And my boyfriend was like, no, you can't. And I was like, okay, no, I can't. <laughs> He's like, you will, you live the exact same life as you're living now. You just save that money somewhere, and don't change anything about what you do. Yeah, how does all, how did that feel when he's telling you that? He's right. I know that he's right. I know. <laughs> your your boyfriend is is talking wealthy money scripts. You know. Yeah. And um, what what's going to come up for you naturally are poor money scripts, like poor mm-hmm. thinking. And you know, the poor thinking. If, if I got a million dollars, I would look at buying a car, buying a house, um, going on a vacation. That's poor thinking. Because poor thinking is 
not holding on to money, right? Um, and wealthy thinking is I'm going to invest that money and then I can have $40,000 of income a year for the rest of my life. And his way is better? Well, that's better way. Well, that's how people stay wealthy and become wealthy. And then what? And then you sit in your house on a pile of your money doing nothing? <laughs> well, it's it's the philosophy that that money is going to generate income for you. And the, the poor thinking trap is um, spending the money because it's going to give you this immediate reward. And then in three or four years, it's all gone and you're back where you started. Or I'm dead. Or you're dead. And then you were right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And all I want is to be right. <laughs> well, we know how you can be right. Uh, uh, we, we don't want we don't want that to happen though. Why are you a financial psychologist? Like why this this niche exactly? Um well, I got out of graduate school. I owed $100,000 in student loans. I grew up poor and I was I was really anxious about all that debt. I was sort of desperate to get out of it and so um, I had known a couple friends over the course of a year who had made a couple hundred thousand dollars trading stocks. And, and I sat with them while they're doing it, and they don't even know what they're buying and selling. Um, but they were just making tons of money. And I'm like, well, you know, oh, that's what rich people do, right? So so that's what I, I sold what I had of value, which wasn't a whole lot. It was it was a truck and some other things. Put it all in stock market, and then I just lost all my money. Um, and <sighs> being a psychologist, I... I immediately blamed my mother, right? That's what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually went home and I um, I interviewed my family members because I thought, okay, there's something wrong with my thinking around this. So I, I interviewed my father and my mother. I got all these family stories, kind of like how you and I were talking. And I saw these patterns that slapped me in the face. And, and like one pattern was that um, I had a lot of anxiety around money. My mother did too. Found out that my grandfather... His family had lost all their money in the Great Depression when the banks collapsed. And um, he, he had a money script that you can't trust banks after that. Again, entirely accurate back then. But what I found out is when he died at age 93, he had all his money in a lockbox in his attic, and he never put a dollar in the bank his entire life. Um, and, and it's one of the reasons, I think, uh, that my family you know, stayed poor. When you have an extreme relationship with something... Um, be it alcohol, be it um, fear around money, your kids are very likely to either do the exact same thing you did or the exact opposite. And that's what I did. I I went to the riskiest possible investments. And if I wasn't a psychologist and if I wasn't trying to look at my own thinking around it, I would have ended up right back where my grandfather did. And I would have been like, well, you can't trust markets. My dad uh, was an addict and an alcoholic for my whole life. And one time I went to the racetrack and I was like, oh, no, I can never come back here. And it was like the same thing where I like called my dad and I was like, so turns out because of you, not an addict or an alcoholic, but it's gambling. And I think like money and drugs and stuff are all like tied together very much. Like the expectation is that I would also be an alcoholic or also be an addict because of that. But it like got tied up in money, I think. Right. Yeah, because it it can give you the same sort of chemical high. And I I looked to the field of psychology for answers and there weren't any. And and what I later discovered is that the field of psychology had totally ignored money. Like, psychologists were, weren't interested in money. They thought it would it's, it's dirty, we're here to help people, we don't want to talk about money. Um, so, you know, my field is sort of handicapped in that way uh, with having these false money scripts, if you will. Well, I think people don't want to talk about money anyway. Like, my friends and stuff, like, people that I want to talk to, like, it's a big taboo. I think it's because then you think you're stupid. 
Right. You're admitting you're stupid if you say, like, I have problems with money. Right. Yes. Um, And when you think that you're stupid, you feel a lot of shame. Um, And like I said, everyone already knows what they should do. Everyone knows they should save. They shouldn't spend more than they make. So the work I really try to do, and as we were doing together, is I want to dig into your family history because the reason that you're struggling with money is directly related to what you were taught or you weren't taught what was modeled for you growing up. And if, we, and if we can really get a handle on where we came from and what were your parents taught and how were they raised around money, these patterns go through the generations. And we, here we are, we don't think about money, we don't talk about money, and so we just play out this family script. Poverty goes through generation after generation after generation. And it's because these beliefs are getting passed down and we just act on them because we never look at them. Um, I want to talk a bit about the systemic overarching issues so like the credit card industry right relies on people being in debt otherwise they wouldn't make any money so i guess like how can you get right within a system that wants you to fail that's a really great question and that's come up multiple times and and we'll we'll see this throughout history like during the 2008 market crash there was um, a lot of discussion about predatory lending about um, people doing terrible things. And there's all these examples, frankly, of rich people doing terrible things. It's also true there are wealthy people doing incredibly wonderful things in the world. And and the only reason I'm pointing that out is that's a money script that, um, and we've researched this extensively with thousands of people, published studies that the belief that rich people are greedy and money corrupts is directly associated with having less income and less net worth. So it's a oh, very yeah, because people are defensive. They want to think that I'm poor, so I'm righteous. Right. And also, if you have that belief and all your friends and family do that money corrupts and rich people are greedy, trust me, you're never going to become rich because it's going to kick you out of that family system. Um, so it's a, it's a self-sabotaging belief. Now, I think we can totally point to all these people who've done terrible things to other people around money in terms of lending money to people who maybe shouldn't have it or couldn't afford it. Um, For me, though, in working with individuals, you have to look at your part of the problem. Like, if all the focus is on externally what's happening, you're just going to repeat the problems over and over again. So a a great question when you get into financial trouble is, is, um, you know, that's more useful than, you know, why are these banks doing this to me is like, well, why did I borrow money that I couldn't afford to pay back? Why did I do that? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, where did that come from? And if you can look into your history and your past, you're going to find those money scripts and those experiences that help explain it. But that's the only way to actually shift that behavior. Otherwise, you're you're sort of running around as a victim and you're just going to keep getting victimized. So you told me to bring in a tape measure and a pair of scissors. So I have this tape measure and I have the scissors. Um, and I assume that this is a very important part of financial counseling. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I'm I'm ready to use both of my props. So you have the measuring tape with you? Yeah. And maybe you could describe it. Like, how long is it? How many inches is it? It seems to be 144 inches. So that's 12 feet. Excellent. So let's um, pretend each one of those inches is a year. Great. Okay. And so this is going to be your lifeline here. So how old do women generally live in your family? Like, what's the... Like 80. Okay, so we're going to guess that you're going to live to 80. So take your scissors and, and cut off right at 80. Okay. All right, so 80. you're yeah, you're looking at 80 years there. Yeah. Okay, so how old are you now? 28. 
Okay, 28. So take the scissors and chop off 28. Because all that's gone. Oh, God. Okay. Okay, so, so this is what you have left. 28 to 80. Do you have any sense on when you would like to retire? Well, I don't know. I'm in entertainment. Uh-huh. And a lot of times people win Oscars late into their 70s. <laughs> right. So let's, well, let's, we, we should actually back up. Um, what does retirement mean to you? I would be doing like a TV guest spot once a year for like the love of the game and not because I like needed money. Yeah. So this, you'd be doing the stuff you love. So mm-hmm. what age what age do you want to be financially independent? How old's Tina Fey? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. She she's probably hit that point. She's like possibly. She's like 50. She's like 45. Oh my god, if she's like 35, I'm going to feel like a piece of shit. Is she like 45? Sam is looking it up. All right, great. So 46 it is. So you want you want to do it at 46. So 46 yeah. is your ideal retirement age. And by retirement, we mean you you know you do what you want when you want because you've got enough money in the bank. I'm gonna to... do fifty because she still does those Amex commercials and I feel like she like really needs the money. So I'm gonna do I'm gonna cut it at fifty. Okay, <laughs> cut it at fifty. So I get like five more years to do Amex commercials. Great. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now I if my math is correct, you're looking at twenty two years. Mm-hmm. Till retirement, mm-hmm. right? And you need to have enough money at 22 years to sustain yourself for 30 more years beyond that. And so the next thing you need to do is figure out how much income do you think you want a year in that retirement phase? And again, retirement meaning that you don't have to work for money. How much money do you think you want a year to sustain yourself for those 30 years? I don't know, like 50 so you're saying that your your ideal is when you're um, just like a beloved character actress, yeah. When you hit that retirement age, all you need is is fifty thousand a year income, and you're set. So you're looking at if you wanted an income, a sustainable income, for thirty years, you're probably going to want to have you know in the bank around one and a half million dollars. Cool. So I have like twenty two years to get that. Yes. Okay. And so, so I just need to do one big Michael Bay movie. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. Um, and so that's plan. And then don't touch that money ever again. And that so I would call that Plan B. Plan B. <laughs> plan Bay. <laughs> plan B it's plan, is it's Plan Bay. Plan Michael Bay. <laughs> <laughs> so Plan B is you're going to get this miraculous windfall. Um, it, it's probably no miracle. You've earned it. Uh, but it's a little bit out of your hands on whether or not that hits, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So plan A is coming up with a strategy that allows you to tomorrow start putting money into retirement plans that in that 22-year time span is guaranteed to get you that $1.5 million. Okay. The most critical aspect is um, understanding that, in a sense, it's you know you're responsible for your behaviors, but... Of course you're doing what you're doing around money because that's what you were taught. So really understanding what are those money scripts? What exactly did your parents teach you around money? Um, and, and come up with some really clear examples of them so that you can catch those thoughts as they pop into your head. Because that's exactly the thought you're, that's going to pop into your head when you get your paycheck. 
And so to be able to capture that and then take some time to think about it and engage in a different behavior. It's very good. So, okay, great. All of my thoughts are wrong. <laughs> well, they, they really are. They really are all wrong. Um, and in terms of entering into the world of wealth, when you grow up in a poor environment, um, and yeah. of course, they're not you heard all wrong. It here. <laughs> you heard it here first, boyfriend. It's all wrong. I was all wrong about every single thing. <laughs> with Brad about loaning my sister money and potentially enabling bad behaviors got me thinking that we should go to the source. My sister, Cheyenne Dunn. Who are you to me? And what is your name? Who am I to you? Well, uh, where do I begin? Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm Cheyenne Dunn. I'm your sister, younger sister. You You have to say younger? Well, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I am your younger sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, not mentally, just actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, interesting. So um, a lot of things that I interviewed mom and dad about and we talked about was like the way that we saw mom and dad spend money and the way that they handle money. And what's your assessment of that situation? Well, I didn't know till like much older that there was the issue of money in our family. Mm-hmm. Um I feel like because you kind of protected me from that for a long time, and which you do with most things. Did So you didn't ever think, like, where were mom and dad getting the money from? No. I was too young. I was I was very naive as a child, if you do recall. Yes. Uh, I like to pretend things just weren't happening, even when they were, which is great. Because I feel like I knew super young that there was, like, issues. Like, ma- like, dad said that in high school I mentioned to him that we were buying things we couldn't afford. Um, yeah. I feel like, I, I think you thought that I was being paranoid. Yeah, I didn't, well, for me, I didn't see it because, you know, I wasn't really asking where money was coming from. And that was like my own thing. I was just like, whatever, can I have money? Sure. Okay. Not, no questions. And uh, they gave you every time. They yeah. never said to you, well, we don't have it. Yeah. It wasn't until I was like in college when finally mom would be like, okay, we can't do this right now, but we can do this at another time. Like, But isn't that jarring? I think it took them too long to say no to you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If they had been saying no to you, like, earlier on in your life, you would have maybe understood the money situation better. Maybe just understood money at all better, because, <laughs> you know, if we want to look at my bank accounts right now, I still don't understand money. Yeah, well, how do you describe your relationship to money now? Because I feel like in the last two years is when you were like, wait a minute, it doesn't grow on trees. Yeah, well, yeah, when I had to start paying for apartments on my own without financial aid being out of college. So that was the first, like, awakening for me. Like, oh, hey, you have to, like, do things to have money instead of just asking for it. <laughs> Took me a while to get there, uh, but at least I did. Age 22, we finally made it. Listen, listen. And then now we're at 24. And, and we have doing some... better. Yeah, you're doing better. I mean, you know, I worked two jobs for a while because I realized that I wasn't making enough and now I'm like oh I have cash I need to like put some of this away and like save it and like use it for things like food instead of yeah so (laughs) yeah okay so here's the thing is that we're not because you were never denied anything by mom and dad you feel like you shouldn't deny yourself anything right the weed is a big one yeah but I'm way better about that now in college, I was just like, yeah, I'll take out $50. Here we go. And then mom would be like, where did that $50 go? And I would just shrug. 
<sighs> I don't know, Mom. Uh, but now, I mean, they don't pay for anything like that for me. That's all coming from my own tips from working in a restaurant for five <laughs> nights a week and, you know, paying for things on my own. Okay, but do you remember when I gave you money? Yes, okay. of course. And it was, like, really lovely, and you were so grateful and wonderful. And then within 24 hours, you had Snapchatted me a picture of sushi that you had bought. Yep. That's one of the first things I did. What? Cheyenne! I didn't have any food. What do you want? I need to eat. Some of that money had to go towards food. It had to go towards $40 worth of sushi? Listen, all right, sushi's expensive. <laughs> I just wanted to treat myself, okay? I'm treating myself like uh, Parks and Rec. <laughs> We're doing the whole Tom Haverford and uh, Retta. You can't treat yourself with someone else's money. Yes, I can, because I used the rest of the money for what it was meant for. I paid my bills. I paid my rent with it. I did, you know, I went to the store and got real food, so I wasn't out spending $40 on sushi. I know, but it was just very funny that you felt comfortable to be like, check out all this sushi I bought. Yeah, I was hungry. I'm pretty sure I told you that when you sent me the money was I'm hungry and I have no money. Because I think we use money as like a mental health thing of like, oh, I'm going to buy all this sushi because I deserve it because I've been so sad about money. Yeah. Which makes no sense, but, you know. Oh, I'm glad to hear you say yeah. so. No, oh, of course. It makes, no, come on. It makes no sense. But I think, I think the caption on the Snapchat was like, I've deserved this. I did deserve it, okay? Did, did you? Work five nights a week in a restaurant that's insane and then tell me I don't deserve $40 worth of sushi. And I used it for what it was supposed to be used for. I just <laughs> took a little dip for myself. A lot of people don't then Snapchat that decision. Whatever. <laughs> you usually don't even... I feel like you don't even see my Snapchats. So I see like, them. Whoa. My friends have started being like... I was like, oh, I got a Snapchat from Shy, And they'll be like, is it a blunt? <laughs> uh, no. See, this is the thing, is that I never asked mom and dad for money because I would always feel some sort of shame about it. But And I was sort of envious of how you never really felt shame about it. Like, you would always just be like, and the, yes, I will take that $100, and yes, I will take yeah, that Yeah, you were trip, a little and, jealous of me. But, but just jealous because I was like, doesn't she have any shame about asking? Yeah. And you never had any. Yeah, well, because I didn't, I had no idea what was going on. So why would I, how would I know? Why did you think I, because I would get mad at you all the time for asking for things. Did I you know. think I would just, I was just mad for no reason? I, honestly, this is going to sound so horrible, whatever. Honestly, my whole thing was just your whole personality about being independent and like doing things your own way. And like, I don't want anything from anyone. I just thought that was like part of it. Like, I just thought you were getting mad at me because you're like, oh, you should be more like me, you know? Like, oh. rather than you're doing this horrible thing, like, oh, you're just like a bad person and you need to, like, be more like me and independent and do things on your own. And I was like, what the hell? If they're going to give me money, I'm going to take money. Like, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, now looking back on it, I'm like, God, I was an asshole. But yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a bit of a martyr complex for me to be like. I'm struggling and I'm eating noodles and I don't ask for anyone's help. And like, that's also like kind of a like jerk off motion. Yeah, you know? right. Got you. I got All you. All right, Gabby, we get it. I don't see myself asking for money again anytime soon. Right now, I'm pretty stable with what I mean, I'm not, you know, super rich, but I'm stable. I have a savings. I know what I'm doing mm -hmm. now. I just think in that moment of time, I was so like that I felt like there was nothing I could do. And I was working so hard at the restaurant and just not seeing any return from it mm -hmm. that I just I had nothing. I had nowhere else to turn. Yeah. And I think that obviously is very generous of you to be able to do that for me. I didn't think you were going to give me as much as you did. Remember, I was shocked when you told me what you transferred to me. Yeah. But 
that shows that you you care, which was great for me. But I think if in the future I came to you and like, let's say we were just sitting like this and I asked you for money and you said no, I would understand. If it wasn't like a desperate moment for me, you know, like Mm -hmm. I think that moment was very desperate for me and I I saw it for what it was. You did a, a huge, great thing for me and I was very happy about that. And but I don't think it's I don't I think if in the future I came and was like, hey, I want you to invest in this stupid thing I'm going to start doing. And you said, no, I wouldn't be like, oh, you're the worst. Like, well, investing. I mean, I would feel like I was about to say that I think the the things it's changed to where you're like, I have an idea for a web series. Do you want to produce it rather than coming to me yeah. and saying I need you to give me cash? Like, yeah. That's a big difference. Yeah. And I don't. I don't think I ask you for things like that very often. I, I think no, I've, no, not at all. I think I've sort but of, but it's changed the way you approach it. Changes. Yeah, yeah. I'm less of a bitch about it. <laughs> Sorry, I've cursed so many times. <laughs> You're allowed to. Okay. You're allowed to. I also, <laughs> I also, yeah. I didn't see it as like opening a door, and also I wouldn't have said no. But maybe I'm like a doormat. I don't know. No, I don't. I think you've said no to me about other things. Yeah, you I guess so. I guess I, you can't yeah. think of any. Oh my god. <laughs> knew that a lot of my money problems came from my parents, but talking to Dr. Klontz made it very clear that there is a super big connection to my family's attitude towards money and how I view money today. And it hadn't occurred to me to be that linear of a connection until this conversation. So I'm I'm sorry if I'm speaking slowly. I'm still processing a lot of it and putting my brain pieces back together but it seems like now that I know this I can think it and then do the opposite so it's not so much not trusting my own thought processes about money but it's having those thought processes and then being like it's opposite day so just do the opposite of whatever you're thinking. It's a lot of how I view fashion. Like, I'll be like, ooh, this shirt has bows on it. And then I'll be like, mm, you like it, so don't buy it. So perhaps we've gotten somewhere today with Dr. Brad. And I can't believe that there are not more financial psychologists because a lot of the stress and a lot of the problems in people's lives come from making money, not making enough money, having a job that they don't think makes enough money, having a partner who needs money. I mean, there's just so much going on there. And I can't believe that. I can't believe there's not more of a market for digging into, especially in such a systemically fucked up money like situation, like the credit card companies, like student loans, for people to talk about their problems with money and for people to talk about their shame about money. And so It's great that Dr. Brad exists, but there should be like 50 Dr. Brads. There should be like 5,000 Dr. Brads. I also want to talk about a moment where Brad said to me that worrying about the system that causes debt and causes money stress is victimhood thinking. And the next thing that you should do is stop thinking of yourself as a victim and enable and empower yourself to get out of these systems. But I'm still confused about why these systems exist. And I think we're stopping short of a solution if we don't include the breaking down of the loan system and of the education system not including 
financial information and the taboo on talking about money, I think all of these like systemic problems, if we don't talk about them, we're not getting to the root of the problem. So I think it's almost like not invoking rape culture when you talk about sexual assault on campus or not invoking racism when talking about police shootings. Like there are structural problems with the way that money is handled. It's good to be like, okay, I can empower myself and how and I can't think of myself as a victim of all these these societal ills because then I'll never get out of it and I'll just think of myself as a victim. But I think you can acknowledge that the system is broken without making it the scapegoat and the reason you don't better yourself. That's all. (laughs) Just, I'm Bernie Sanders and I'm running for, oh no, I'm not running for president. Okay, I'm sorry. Thanks for listening to Bad With Money. If you like the show, please rate us in iTunes, subscribe, and tell all your friends who are also bad with money. Also, feel free to tell all your rich tycoon friends. Do they want to sponsor me? I will take any sponsorship that they are willing to offer. We're part of the Panoply Network. Our producer is Sam Dingman. He's the best. Laura Mayer is Panoply's director of production. And Andy Bowers is our chief content officer. Our engineer is Jeremy Underwood. Original music for our show was composed by Zach Sherwin, Mike Kaplan, and Jack Dolgen. Our show art is by Cameron Glavin. Production help on this episode from John Wada at FM 97 Radio in Kauai. Woo! I'm Gabby Dunn, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye! Bye!